All right, so I am super excited about this. We've never done this before. Recorded the Soul of Enterprise, one of the industry's most popular podcasts, live right here with you in front of you. So welcome to the stage. We are now in recording mode. You are in the studio, the Soul of Enterprise. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks, on today's show, we are live at Scaling New Heights 2022. It's like it's like an old episode of All in the Family, Ron. Do you remember All in the Family? <laughs> yes. Live before a studio Real audience. audience. <laughs> Recorded live before a studio audience. The, the, our audience is not going to hear this until Friday, but those of you here are going to hear this right now. Yep. It's like they're living in the future. It's amazing. Yep. It's just it's awesome. Okay, so what we're going to do here is we're going to banter for a little bit up, uh, up here first. Then I'm going to grab the microphone over there, probably 10 minutes or so in, come out, talk to you guys, and uh, you're going to be the Q, and we're going to be the A. Well, maybe not the A, we'll be the R. We'll respond. <laughs> <laughs> but we might not answer your question. All right, so there's Q and, and response, and we'll get, we'll get to that. But, Joe, I wanted to, to just start here and say, why thrive? Why uh, thrive? Yeah. And we can pick any word out of the lexicon, right? So it's the, it's the culmination of a story. And in this, a lot of people have been with us for the whole of the journey. But, uh, you know, back uh, the original part of the journey, we envisioned the epic practice back in Atlantis. Uh, and then after we envisioned that, it scared everybody to death. They'd have to build such a crazy thing. So we faced our fears by facing the Yeti. That was the <laughs> next conference. And then after we overcame our fears, it was time to get busy. The place you start is with the tech. So we tamed the machines. That was our next storyline. And once you had all of that ready, the very next step is time to become a transformative advisor. Remember the butterfly folks? And then after you're a transformative advisor and you have the right tech, you've overcome your fear and you've got a good vision of your epic practice, you must rise. So that was the next theme, rise of the advisor. And then after rise of the advisor, we had to be unstoppable because, you know, kind of the world threw a little bit of a boulder in our way. And we had to take this thing that we've been envisioning for all of these years and we had to plow through all of the challenges and be persevering people. After we were unstoppable, after we have the right tech, after we have the right practice model, after we've overcome our fear, after we've embraced advisory, what else are we going to do? but thrive. All right. Did you plan this all out like George Lucas? Like, you know, for, like, <laughs> did you have like- I don't know that George Lucas <laughs> planned it out. I, <laughs> I really don't. I think he made it up kind of as he went. Hey, let's start with episode four. We'll figure out what we're going to do with one, two, yeah, three. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So Ron, uh, that was about my story. Yes. All absolutely. right. Ron, bringing you in here. What, what, how you, how you haven't enjoyed the conference so far? Oh, it's been great. I've been able to do three sessions, Sunday, Monday, and uh, talking about the new subscription business model that we're really excited about and I think aligns the reason that you entered the profession, to help people. We just gotta get back to our roots to help people. So it's been, and it's been very well received. 
Absolutely. And, and Joe, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, because backstage we were, we were talking a little bit about this, and we had talked about this when you were last on the show, mm -hmm. which was about a month and a half ago or so. And you've had an evolution of, of thinking. You, you, you went from, you know, Mr. Timesheet to, <laughs> to, to, like, we can get rid of them. Well, and I was never Mr. Timesheet on the billing side. I agreed okay. with you guys from the beginning on that. But I remember the first time I was on the episode, I said, hey, guys, you know, um, I, 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 you shouldn't bill the time. That's self-punitive, and it's not the product that people are buying. I had, you guys had me from Hello. But I argued on my first appearance on The Soul of Enterprise that you still needed the timesheet for management purposes. And I remember you guys just, I was actually your segment, Ed, and I remember that you just sat quietly, listened, and nodded. And then at the end of my whole little Dia tribe, you said nothing except these words, we will respectfully disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> So, so then the next evolution, I came back on the, the, the show and I was like, okay, now I got you. All right, the timesheet's not a really good management tool, um, but it is still a really good tool for determining cost. Now, and I thought I had this because I was using a Ron Baker principle, or at least a Ron Baker uh, echoed principle that he says that cost, uh, that price should not be determined by cost. You should instead determine, can you afford to build or do what you're doing at what the customer is willing to pay, right? I mean, the Toyota model. So I was like, okay, well, then how do you determine the cost of what you're going to do without time? So I came back on the show again. And I thought, well, you got to have that to determine cost so you can afford it to, to do it. Right. And then you guys kind of convinced me, nope, not again. So, uh, <laughs> so now the last one is, and the one that I still struggle with a little bit, even though you brought me to the good side of the forest on it, it's still, and I'd like for you, Ed, if I could kind of echo it back to you, if you could help us solve this for everybody today. The problem is, how do I measure if a person is productive, right, if I don't know if the person is profitable? All right, who wants to take it? I'm going to throw the question. Oh, right I'll back. take it. it. It's irrelevant. I mean, first off, you already know. <laughs> you, you already know if the people that work for you are, are stars or duds without looking at any financial information. You know that right now. Because you don't, you don't make hiring and firing decisions based upon timesheet and cost data. You make it upon their attitude and their customer service ethic and their ability to help colleagues. And are they a team player? And do they share the culture and purpose? of the firm and all those things that can't be measured on the timesheet. Uh, the other thing is, whether you're in value pricing or subscription pricing, you're looking, at the, you're looking at the entire portfolio and you're managing the profit of the entire firm. There's no way to cut the costs up. How do you divide toilet paper to a specific client? It, it's an absurd <laughs> exercise. So if you price right and have good strategy and positioning, then you just manage the profit, uh, profitability of the portfolio. And that's easier to do with value pricing, and it's even easier with subscription pricing. And why is it easier with subscription pricing? Can I play host again and ask one more question? Yes, because subscription pricing is monetizing not the customer. It's not pricing the customer. Subscription pricing is pricing the relationship. And so the way we have it structured is it, it enables you to command a premium price because you're no longer going to the market with a common offering. You're going to the market with an uncommon offering, what Walt Disney would call a plus offering. And because of that, you can command a higher price. And because of that, you don't have to sit there and worry about each little piece of work that you do for a particular client because you're comparing everything to customer lifetime value and you're building up annual recurring revenue 
that shows up right on your income statement. So you use non-financial measurements to determine the employees that must go. Absolutely. I think you use judgment, not measurement. That's one of the big things in the knowledge environment is judgment is far more important than measurement. Uh, and we, you should, we rely on our judgment to review the work papers of, of our team members and all that. You can tell if somebody knows what they're doing or did a good job or maybe didn't do enough self-review, whatever it is. That's all judgment. That's not a measurement. We, judgment is far superior to measurement in a knowledge organization. Well, how do I know which client to fire? Oh, I think you know that in your gut. Which one? Same do you, thing. Judgment call. Yeah. Which one do you run into the bathroom when the when you see their ID on the phone? Right. That's the one to get rid of. No, it's the wince test, right? Yes. So, so you're saying make judgment calls with clients, make judgment calls with employees, and then measure the business based off of what, like a, a like a median or just a total gro gross profit margin? Like. A, no, I think I, I would start measuring the business w by looking at m and modeling customer lifetime value and the growth of annual recurring revenue. If, if you look at a subscription income statement, and those of you who took my sessions have seen it, I, I just put it up. I didn't have to say a word. You, could just, you can tell that people are looking at it and they get it right away. That gross profit margin that shows up, uh, you can take that and reinvest it back into the business to grow and to scale. And as long as your bucket isn't leaking, as long as your churn rate is, is staying constant or going down, then you're going to have an incredibly profitable business. Another thing that needs to be said is with an annual recurring revenue business, it's going to be a much higher valuable business when you go to sell it. It's not going to be one times gross revenue. It could be anywhere from two to five or even seeing seven times gross revenue because the market demands annual recurring revenue. They, they don't want to start on the zero yard line every day with you know, essentially zero sales. You're starting on the 50 yard line because you have predictable cash flow and predictable revenue. The biggest thing that I picked up from, from that income statement, and, and I'm not an accountant by trade, but it really struck me still as I was reading Teen So's book, Subscribe, which you should all read, is that costs become future directed. Yes. And you don't want to line up your revenue and costs. In fact, trying to do so makes the system worse. And just to get back to your, the, the notion of measurements, really think about it. And I, I talked earlier today on Mainstage about Peter Block. And one of the things that he talks about in that book, the answer to how is yes. He says, all measurements are judgments in disguise. Mm. All measurements are judgments in disguise. Because making a decision as to what to measure, we don't measure that. We don't measure measurements. Yep. We judge measurements. And whether or not that this is the proper measurement for us to do. And Ron, I'll make the point that Reginald Lee makes with the difference between a measurement and a metric, because this is a really important point. Yeah, this, especially for accountants and like me, if you're a recovering cost accountant who <laughs> repents every day, uh, <laughs> you, you, if, if we all had thermometers and we all walked outside, we'd probably get the same temperature reading if they were good thermometers. That's a measurement because it doesn't require any judgment or anything like that. It's just a, just a hard measurement. When I do something like LIFO or FIFO accounting or cost accounting, those are metrics because I have to make judgments and assumptions about which method. For example, as you know, LIFO uh, inventory costing is going to throw off you know, less profit, which is great for tax purposes, might not be so great for investors, but I use FIFO and I get a different net income number. Now, folks, that's crazy. How can you use the same numbers and produce different net income results? And by the way, that, are, that have nothing to do with cash. So 
That's why metrics are not measurements. They're subjective judgments, actually. And they're usually sometimes some kind of a calculation is involved, not necessarily just a, a raw measurement. So that's really the, the, the key. And that, that's something that Reginald Lee has really, uh, I think, driven home in both of us. That you, every time you're trying to do cost accounting, cost accounting is an opinion. Yep. It's yep. an opinion. Cash is a fact. Cash is cost, a fact. Cost accounting can be manipulated. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've got another fact for you is capacity. So if I don't have a timesheet, how do I know how much capacity my people have to take on new work? Yeah, and, and this is something that, that I've dealt with for a long, long time with a, a, a thing called the issues list. It's a project management tool that allows you to say, because we're, we're, we're not necessarily opposed to putting on a task what we think the level of effort should be. So we say, you should do this, it should take you about four hours. But what's more important, and I talked about this earlier today too, what we want to say is, but it needs to be done Thursday. Because that's more important to me that it's done Thursday. And when we're, we're, we're checking this stuff, we're saying, what's, what's a person's on-time performance? Just like the, a plane. Mm. Do, they, do they get the stuff done that they say they're going to get done on time? That's and then can I add a measurement to that? that Are they work-life harmonized as they're doing so, which is another non-financial measurement? Because you might have somebody that's doing that, mm -hmm. but they might be burning themselves out, out. wrecking their marriage. Right? And, so, and, and a timesheet's not going to show you that. No, that's no. absolutely not right. Yeah. No. And what will happen, so if you give somebody, hey, listen, we think it should take you four hours, the suggestion that I have for, leave it up to the professional to say, was this significantly more or significantly less than you thought? And if it was, and what's significant? That's another judgment. Right. And if, if the person doing the work says, it took me significantly longer than what we thought, then go talk to somebody. Maybe you misunderstood the assignment. Maybe we knew it was going to take you longer, but this is the first time you're doing it, and that's fine. This was learning experience, chalk it up. You still got it done Thursday, because that's the most important thing. And then the, I would still drive that point home. Right. And, and did it, what did it do to you to make that happen? If you did, did you kill yourself? Did you, did you lose sleep? Because if we don't ask that follow-up question, yep. we'll burn our people out. And the other side of this is even more important, as far as I'm concerned, which is if it, we said four hours and it took you two or it took you one, that's significantly shorter. Let's have a conversation about that. Yeah. Why? You might have still misunderstood the assignment, and it and you your work's not going to be complete. Or you may have innovated. Yeah. You, may have, you may have come up with a new way to do it that nobody thought of. Yeah. And now what I want to do is I want to be able to capture that and Harvest share it out that with innovation. anybody else. Democratize it. Love yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, that, so that, that's the more important. So was it done on time when you said? And then we're gonna, we could quote, put a metric in place to say, and you know, Joe's on-time performance rating is 92%. He gets 92% of the tasks that are assigned to him done on time. Hmm. That is far better from an effectiveness me uh, metric than it is on an efficiency metric. I am fully pers persuaded now <laughs> that we can fully eliminate the timesheet. All right. It took how many years? Yeah, uh, it's been a while, Joe. <laughs> yeah, we, okay. we, got, we got it through well, the thick skull of yours five, finally. It's, it's five right. episodes. We'll count it down. Five way. episodes. Are yeah, absolutely right. right. Okay. So, Anyway, we are coming up against our first break. We want to yes. remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. And we also are sponsored. We have a Patreon channel for those of you interested, patreon.com slash tsoe, where you can get the shows commercial-free without those nasty Greg Kite commercials, as well as listen to our bonus episodes, which we record after show. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. 
Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome. It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports. Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com. Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download Oh, oh my fraud. fraud. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here live at Scaling New Heights in Orlando. Amazing. Uh, folks, we have Ed Kless in the audience, and he's going to run up to you if you have a question. I've got our first set of questions right over here. Go ahead, Caleb. Hey, Ed and Ron, I have a question for you. On the recent show that you did with Dr. Robert Sirico, you made the comment that they're practicing Marxists when they bill by the hour. I want to (laughs) understand what you meant. All right, well, here we go. I'll I'll give my side, and then Ron will talk about this. By the way, this episode was last Friday's episode with uh, Father Robert Sirico, who is a Catholic priest who runs a, or is now retired from running a free market think tank. So put, those, put that, that together for a while and process through that. Anyway, um, one of the things we talked about was this whole notion of billable hours. So the reason why billable hours is based on Marxist principles. It's called the labor theory of value. Marx developed this thing, the labor theory, said the, the value of this table is so equal to the sum total of all of the parts that it took the, to get the plastic, to mine the, the metal, to create this stuff, and it's equal to the sum total of it, so it, it included the labor that was rolled in. So when you bill by the hour, you are actually a practicing Marxist. Ron? <laughs> no, you got it. <laughs> you got it. I can't beat that. All right, other questions? I want to ha- hand up, I'm coming over to you. Went around. All right. 
Go ahead. Yes, I'm Benita from Guam. Uh, my question is, uh, and regrettably, I did not attend the uh, subscription pricing. Um, if you are a sole practitioner and you offer advisory, bookkeeping, and tax preparation, how do you fit in the subscription billing in that platform? Well, there's many different strategies, obviously, uh, to do it. It helps if you're niched in a particular industry or demographic, like I have a buddy that does nothing but dentists, and so he knows exactly the size that's the sweet spot for him, and he, so most of his customers are, are on the rails. They're, he knows what the variations could be and size and all of that, and he just does everything on subscription, which is basically telling the customer, whatever you, whatever you need that we're capable of doing is included. You're covered. We're going to take care of you. We're, you're in good hands. So it's frictionless. It's convenient. It's peace of mind. And it surfaces simplicity. I think we live in a world where customers will pay a fortune to not have their time wasted. Yes. I, I, I think... When a business wastes a customer's time, it's a mortal sin. And hence the 200-page tax organizers that we send out uh, to learn about the three things that changed in the customer's life. Well, in the subscription business, you know that customer so well because you have fewer customers that you already know those three things that changed in their life. If you're learning that from a tax organizer, you have a transactional business, not a relationship business. All right, I'm over here now with Will. Uh, Will Hill, Ron, you mentioned the word judgment earlier. Separate for us judgment from critical thinking. And then uh, how does a firm leader train their team on better judgment? What a great question. Ed's probably more competent to ans answer this than I am. But let me, give it, let, me, let me give it a crack. Have them read and have them teach. So do a book of the month club or book of the quarter or whatever and make them digest it and make them teach it because if you want to learn something, teach it. They say when you teach something, you learn it twice and that really makes you understand it and also look at it from every angle, which is a form of critical thinking. But Ed, I'd be interested in what you'd say. That's great, Ron. The only thing that I would potentially add is, is, is some stuff that we've done on the Soul of Enterprise around getting better at asking more effective questions. And one of the things that, that I learned from, from Peter Block, or actually uh, Peter Drucker, is replace advice with curiosity. Replace yeah. advice with curiosity. Be curious, not, not only about your customers, certainly your customers, but also about your people. Be curious about them. And so. just to add one more thing from, since you mentioned Drucker, Drucker said his approach to consulting, and this is going to sound so counterintuitive, you're going to think I've lost my mind, but Drucker said, when I consult, I don't lead with my knowledge. I'm not there to provide answers. I lead with my ignorance. That way I ask better questions and I learn more about what it is the customer is trying to achieve. You know, when I've, when I've, when I've done the opposite of that, and some of you are actually coached by me, so you know this, um, I will lead with the answer. And then whenever you guys actually layer my answer against the problem, I'm like, well, that doesn't work now, does it? I mean, I've actually had to tell you guys some of that. And I've had to learn that the hard way is I better just go ahead and figure out the problem before I start giving out the solution. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, it sounds like, you, of course, you should do that. But it's so easy to just take the knowledge and assume that it can be contextualized into the problem 
without fully assessing the problem. There are too many variables. Right. We have to diagnose before we prescribe. Otherwise, it's malpractice. Yes. Remember the cat from the brunch? Yeah. Uh, that's an inside thing if you went to the brunch. Okay. All right. I'm here in the middle with Adam. Ron, in a session earlier this week, you said that our firms will be identified by the clients we don't have and the services we don't provide. If that's a good paraphrase, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, this is a, one of the biggest principles of strategy and, and positioning, because they kind of go hand in hand. Strategy is all about what you're not going to do, who you're not going to serve, the, the services that you're not going to provide. And I think a firm is defined by the customers it doesn't have and the services it doesn't provide. Think about Apple versus HP. Euler Packard has about 15,000 SKUs. Apple has less than 100. That's intent focus. They are very well defined. They get a lot of ideas, great ideas from very smart people that work there. And Steve Jobs used to say, look, we have to say no to most of them because we have to stay focused. And he said, if we can't be world class at it, we won't do it. So really strategy is about your not to do list more than it is about what you're going to do. And, and can I add to that, that, that if you have a very well-established vision, mission, and purpose, it'll really put a filter on your practice. I mean, I've had people come to me wanting me to do events for them, big corporations, wanting me to do events for them, very lucrative contracts, but they do not have accountants and bookkeepers in their audience. What does that have to do with empowering small business advisors to transform small business? So it puts a filter on the front door uh, beyond just are you a good client once you pass filter A. Right. And it also puts a filter in, in attracting human capital, talent, yeah. as well. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Over on your right again with Zach. Hi. Yeah. Um, which KPIs or metrics have you found very useful or practical for tax or accounting practices? Well, I really like the turnaround time that Ed described because I think that kind of keeps everybody, you know, if it wasn't for deadlines, nothing would get done. Most firms' work project, you know, is, tries to be FIFO, right? First in, first out. But most of it ends up being fish. First in, still here, which I think is a problem. Um, the net promoter score, I believe, can be a good KPI. Uh, but I've also seen it fail. The net promoter score is a theory. It needs to be tested. And if it doesn't predict future customer behavior, throw it out. There's no reason to keep a metric that's not predictive. I also like HSDs, high satisfaction days, when your team has the kind of day where you just pump your fist and say, yes, this is why I do what I do. This is why I'm in this profession. Maybe it's a customer sent you a handwritten thank you card or a gift. You took them through a difficult time. Those types of things, Disney tracks them. Mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing to walk into, uh, into the utilidors under uh, Walt Disney World here, and you'll see walls covered with what they call moments of magic and stories from uh, guests who just had uh, an incredible experience because of what the cast members did. Um, that matters. That kind of stuff is in the culture. It can't, it's not measured on a timesheet. It's not even measured on an income statement, but I think it drives the income statement. So I really like uh, HSDs. Hey, I've got a key performance indicator. <clears throat> we use it Woodard. And it's how many people <clears throat> send us gifts where those people spent money with us through the year, not the other way around. I mean, a lot of people send you Christmas gifts when you're the one writing the checks. How many people write us checks and still send us gifts? And that's an actual KPI based on number of gifts per year. 
And, awesome. it is, and it's predictive because it says sure. how many happy customers I have. It's yep. beautiful. And right. we also like Disney. I didn't know Disney did that. We have the gift shelf and everything that's ever been given to me is on a shelf in my office and I look at it every day. If you've ever handed me anything at Scaling New Heights, I stare at it every day. Boy, there's the shelf, be a, yeah, I have to keep adding shelves. There's going to be a Joe Woodard Museum. <laughs> no, it's actually forward. a museum of they, right? Because, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our guys to your left now with Ingrid. How are you? Great. This is Ingrid Edstrom from Ashland, Oregon. Ron, you and I got to have a very brief snippet of a conversation a couple days ago. And I mentioned that we're going to be doing um, a discussion coming up with the Accounting Alchemy Network on ESG. And you shared with me that you're not a big fan of ESG. And I would love to hear why. Because I think ESG is oversold and overhyped. I don't think just because we can um, pretend to measure environmental, social, governance impact on a financial statement doesn't mean that we're going to be able to uh, change climate change or, or inequality or all these other things. That's not, that's not the lane that business needs to be in. Business needs to make a good product. You know what? That's hard enough. You know how many businesses fail? And, and, and when businesses do fail, think Theranos. Think WeWork, think um, uh, Uber, right? They've never made money. Nobody's upset because, oh, they didn't live their purpose. They didn't change the world. No, they're pissed off because they lost their money. <laughs> I mean, business is there to create wealth for its customers and for the shareholders, the owners. And I just think ESG, it should stand for everybody. Stop grandstanding. <laughs> All right, we're with uh, Veronica. Yes. Yep. Uh, hi, Ron. I was able to attend all three sessions of your subscription. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I found it intriguing. But my question is this. It's a new concept to me. So if it's something we're interested in, what resource, book, podcast, show will help us model towards that approach? How do I make that transition? What are the steps involved? Right. If you, if you download the PowerPoint deck from the first session I did on Sunday, it's called Time's Up. Um, in that PowerPoint deck, one of the last slides is a resources, and I recommend four or five books in there. Subscribed by Teen Zoe, The Automatic Customer by John Warlow, uh, Subscription Marketing by Ann Janzer, and Robbie Kelman Baxter's The Forever Transaction. Those four books, those four people are the thought leaders in this space. I also have a book coming out in November called Time's Up, which is all about the subscription business model in professional firms. And you can learn more about that at verisage.com slash time's up. All right, last question over here, Joe. Before the break, you mentioned um, the employee that got the work done in one hour mm -hmm. um, when there was a four-hour budget. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned 92% effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a judgment? And if it isn't a judgment, why isn't, or isn't that a bad thing? It, it, it absolutely is a judgment. Thank you for that. It is, a, it is a judgment. That's the whole point, is that every measurement is actually a judgment in disguise. So what we're saying is, is that getting stuff done on time is the thing that we're going to judge to be the most important from an effectiveness standpoint. The whole hour piece of it is really more about, well, it, it was, we want to know what, why, what was the cause of the misalignment with, hey, we gave you four, and you came back one. 
So we need to understand the differential. Now, for most, most of the time, most of the tasks that we have, we're going to just say, yep, that's okay, because it's going to be not significantly different from whatever we put forward as our effort estimate. So there you go. Well, we got about a minute to wrap things up here. So I wanted to turn it back over to you, Joe, come some, some, some final thoughts from here. Well, the final thoughts I have is that I you know, finally have, have been convinced of this. The, the second final thought is I encourage everybody at Scaling New Heights to come up with the four three things. And, and, and you guys know what those are. I'm not going to break them down here in the last 20 seconds. But what I will say is uh, one of the three things you're supposed to find are those, those, those thoughts that will forever change the way that you view the world or business. And this measurements or judgments in disguise is one of my three things I took from this conference. So thank you for that, Ed. All right, outstanding, Ron. Awesome. Couple thoughts? No, I'm just uh, happy to be able to share what we're very excited about with the subscribe uh, economy, the subscription economy model. And, and I know it's not for everybody. I know it scares a lot of folks when they first hear it. That's fine. It scared me when I first heard it. But remember, the turtle only makes progress when he sticks his neck out. <laughs> Well, we are up against our last break. Want to remind you, you can contact Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And here's a special treat. If you do go and pre-order Ron's book at verisage.com or thesoulofenterprise.com slash times up, pre-order it on Amazon, send an email of your receipt to asktsoe at verisage.com, and we will include you in a special community that we have planned for the launch of Ron's book. So mm -hmm. hope that you... you You'll do that. Remember the receipt to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. Sage knows how hard it can be for accountants to form a game plan to develop and launch new services to clients. To solve this, Sage partnered with industry leader Boomer Consulting to build the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Services Program. This program guides you at your own pace to create a clear and concise strategy for increasing value and profitability by providing higher value services to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download 
Oh, oh my fraud. fraud. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise in a slightly scaled down scaling new heights. <laughs> yes. We did let the audience go. They had breakouts to get to. And then we had more segments to record. So we're, we're sitting here, just the three of us. The three of us with a couple of scattered. Give, give us cheer, those of you in the house. <laughs> there you go. So just a, a, a couple. If, in all fairness, and this is the inside baseball for a soul of enterprise people, Ron's mom and dad are here, which yeah, is a yeah. special ga- guest for them. So really, we'll always appreciate them being in the audience, as we've done at some Verisage events. So that's been, we even had the pleasure of interviewing Sam previously. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, he's great. He's got a great story. In fact, Ron, Ron tells it quite well. But um, Joe, let's let's talk a little bit more. What are, what are your what are your fears about this the, the next uh, twelve to eighteen months from an economic standpoint? Yeah, well, obviously the recession's on everybody's mind, right? I mean, I heard a stat just this morning on the news. It was forty percent probability now of of an actual recession, uh, declared recession. And so, you know, I don't like those odds at all. Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm no economist, but I, I think it's actually, uh, from, from just having weathered through about two or three of these in my life, I think it's probably a better chance than 40%. I think we're going to have some sort of, of recession moment. Um, you just can't survive this kind of inflation, this kind of gas prices, but also this kind of political uncertainty and not have some kind of financial uh, impact especially with the pandemic and the way we were, uh, maybe, maybe we, we could have another whole debate about necessarily, unnecessarily, but definitely printing money to get uh, small businesses through the pandemic. All of those things can't result in anything else than some kind of economic event. And yeah, that, that worries me. Um, it, it, it concerns me not so much for the bookkeepers and accountants because a lot of those, they just end up, if they will finally charge for the value they're bringing, which they did not do with PPP and ERC um, like they should have, if they'll charge to help clients navigate through the difficult time, then they could end up adding a lot of value through, through this, right? And saving the clients a lot of headache and money and sharing in that wealth. That's great for them. As a conference host, it makes me extremely nervous. <laughs> yes, no, no doubt. I, and one of the things Ron and I have to have talked about, you know, th- it is truly the, and this word was thrown around a lot, unprecedented what happened, mostly because we shut an, a perfectly functioning economy down. A strong economy. A strong economy down. And that ha- that has no precedent. That it really does not. does not. Everything else was previously, you know, was was truly demand related. This was a, a, an inverse supply shock. We said, nope, we're not going to supply anymore. Yep. But then we're going to keep giving you money. Yep. And, and yeah, so, but one of the things I wanted to, to Ron, to you point out, we, and I, we, I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but you have less of a fear about it, the increase to the interest rate. Right for for the national debt going up. Oh yeah, people say you know if the interest rate goes up, we're going to spend 50, 60 percent of the budget of government spending on interest. Right? Mm. That, that's they're paranoid about that. And my take on that is that's great. That's the most that's the least distortive type of spending 
Yes, the, of, of, of what the other things that we've seen, <laughs> the, the, right? Exactly. Which is really going to get me to my next point, too, is everything that you should do in an economic recovery is sort of the opposite of what's been happening. And, and I think that I've been very you know, clear with people that I tend to, to, to be more conservative in my fiscal viewpoints and much more liberal in my social viewpoints. And so the fiscally more conservative person in me, uh, I still believe in benevolent profitability. I still think that it's great to share your wealth with other people like you, uh, the term give back applies they gave to me first but share share all day mm-hmm. long right, right. I, I mean if, if I have more than I need great be a good human share and share at your discretion and I all I love benevolent profitability but fiscally to be conservative means you first generate said profitability and to be fiscally conservative also means that you do the fiscally conservative especially as you're trying to recover uh, steps politically and budgetarily and socially and every other way in order to navigate your way out of a financial crisis. And we have done the exact opposite. Yeah. yeah. So true. Additional thoughts on that, Ron? Or are you, no, that was well said. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so no, true. I agree. So, so, but what are you hearing from uh, the folks here talking about their customers? So the people in you, your network, what are they talking about about their customers? Um, they are, they, that hasn't changed much with the environment, except that, uh, everybody was going through the pandemic as normal. So it was this big compliance issue and it was more of a, it was still more of a service work kind of approach. They weren't trying, they don't lean straight toward their go-to is not coaching. Their go-to is how can we make you comply with whatever new regulations are ever out there because that's their DNA. Um, so nothing with your answer has really changed in, in what they're saying that's happening with their clients. They will say some of their clients have gone out of business, right, in restaurants and so forth. They'll say some of their clients in transportation or what else are suffering or are they at the risk of failure. But, but not much has, has changed pre, during, and post-COVID about the nature of their work or the overall size or nature of their clientele. As a matter of fact, what I've seen is, is firms actually growing quite, quite well in the quantity or the amount of work that they take. Um, but what we have to do is we have to get the firms now, regardless of the current economic crisis or the pandemic, we've got to have a corner turn with firms where they're doing more of the kind of stuff that I'm teaching and you guys are teaching, which is knowledge work, embrace that knowledge economy, start making, generating uh, revenues disproportionately to effort, which is what I, how I define wealth. Wealth is revenues disproportionately to effort, whether that's leveraging systems or more importantly, whether it's levering, leveraging knowledge. And I think if we keep you know, banging that drum, then more and more firms will, will come on board. And I do think that they won't have a choice but to do so uh, with some of the coming technological disruptions and scaled economic disruptions. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody talks about QuickBooks Live, especially in an event like this, which was l- largely concentrated at QuickBooks Pro Advisors. But I mean, QuickBooks Live didn't have anything on H&R Block. What they're doing right now with their 7,000 gig workers mm-hmm. in brick and mortar buildings, and then they don't have anything on the prospects of pilot. So there are much bigger threats out there. It's a category. It is not a player that concerns that should concern us. And the positive side of that, the silver lining is, when you have that kind of economic disruption in model, when you have that kind of economic disruption in technology, when you have the convergence of the two, they only have two choices. And that is to find another occupation or embrace knowledge work. The silver lining is we're gonna get some knowledge workers. 
So Ron, I had a question come up at one of my sessions, and I, I think I know your answer, but I think it's, it's good for us to have a conversation about it. One, one, someone asked, all right, even if I'm a, a subscription-based business, even if, I, or regardless of, of what my, my model is for this, how do I raise my prices with inflation? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, this, we, this came up in my sessions as well, and I pointed to the Amazon Prime email that I received, and Amazon Prime raised the price of Prime. Now, this was earlier this year, so kind of before everybody was freaking out about inflation. But that whole email justified the price increase, not by talking about increased costs and inflation worries. It was all about how much more value we added. Yes. We expanded same-day delivery to 198 different cities, and we dropped more things onto Prime and Amazon Music and Kindle Books. and you know, It was all value all value justification, and I think that's how they need to do it. I agree completely. Yeah, and in fact, I've, I gave the same answer and said, if you have Amazon Prime, dig that email out of your you know, archive and just cut and Paraphrase paste it. it. Cut, yeah, cut yeah. and paste it and, and put and in your value drivers for it because I think that's a <laughs> steal from the best, right? Great, great wording. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's very well written yeah. the way they did yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really yeah. good stuff. Well, we are up against our next break. I want to remind you, you can contact Ron or me by sending the email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise. We also have Rate This Podcast, ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE, where you can guess what, Joe? <laughs> rate this podcast. That's what you can do with Rate <laughs> This Podcast. <laughs> it's really, really not that hard. Was a setup it's really not hard. I really thought you were going to a weird <laughs> twist no. like that. Yeah. But, but right now, a word from our sponsor. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download Oh, oh My, My Fraud. fraud. Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome. 
It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah. And of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah. And they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports. Yep. So check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here at Scaling New Heights in Orlando, Florida, and we're finishing up with Joe Woodard. And Joe, I have a question for you. We were talking about recession earlier, maybe 40% chance, maybe more. And I know you teach your accountants in a recession, you're needed even more. That is correct. So expand on that. Oh. How, why are they needed more? Yeah. How are they needed more? What are the opportunities that a recession? Yeah, well, of course, the opportunities in a recession are when cash is tighter, you need cash flow projections. You know, when, when, when your cash flow projections are saying you're not going to have enough cash to cover payroll, you start have to coach the clients toward making very difficult choices. If that's a short-term cash crunch, and of course, you know, in a time of recession, it's even harder to gain any kinds of capital than uh, in order to cover those kinds of things. Then you've got to go into accounts receivable analytics that are predictive in nature, great tools that will do that like Tally Street, try to speed up those AR turns, which means you have to really lean on people in reception uh, in a recession because they're trying to, you know, hoard the cash themselves and do whatever it takes in order to get that, that money moving again, even if you have to create some payment plans with some of those people to move some short-term money, let them pay over time, maybe even interest-free, just get the blood flowing through the veins again. But the business owner doesn't understand that. They just panic, they wake up at three o'clock in the morning, they start to just, maybe in the visionary leader is overly optimistic and entertains the idea that it's always gonna work out because it always does work out, and maybe in a non-recession environment it would. But cash flow projection, Ron, accounts receivable analytics to get those accounts receivable uh, moving again, strategies on financing with your customers interest or interest-free, um, but also just navigating through the change itself can become an opportunity to sell based off of value. And, and then they could just read all of your writings and, and, and Ed's teachings on value pricing and start to deal with some of the back-end economics of, after I navigate through this with you, I'm either going to predict that you're going to have X value or we're going to determine that you have X value or some combination of the other, and we're going to share in that wealth together. You need me more than ever. Now I must protect your journey. But if they're only selling the utility of bookkeeping, if they're only selling the utility of tax return preparation, then those are the sorts of things that the clients must spend on in a recession We'll try to avoid as much as possible. We'll try to reduce as much as possible. And there is a no-win scenario there. All right. I'm going to flip the other way now, Joe. We talked about the, the maybe end on a more happier, happier <laughs> note. What, what, do you, what do you see to, to be the, the, the key opportunities over the next 12 to 18 months for, for folks in your network? Yeah. So folks in our network do have that ability to steer their clients to a tumultuous time. So there's, mm-hmm. there's that. Yep. We'll kind of come back to that as one of the answers. Um, I think that the opportunity for for our folks is a pervasive one. I don't think it's a conditional one based off the current politics or the current economic environment. And it's been one that's been in front of them for years. And that is to to stop selling bookkeeping, stop selling tax, maybe even stop identifying yourself as those things 
and instead do the things that those are a means to. Now, um, which is get us back to the knowledge work. Specifically, I think there's an opportunity that's unprecedented to cross the 80% automation barrier. I just did a webinar called Zero Entry Bookkeeping. Is it possibility or pipe dream? <laughs> and, and, and I landed on not just possibility, over 80% present reality. Um, and, and not just present reality, but with a minimal amount of innovation, which is key, present reality. And where the rest of it is very strong possibility. So if you take the right kind of client, you piece it with the right kinds of technologies and you really lean into that, we, we have this opportunity now to, to, to transcend the genre in ways that you would think existed before this, but there was like a pivotal turning moment that said, we've got automation up to a point where it's reached critical mass. And now the critical mass, technologically speaking, has just tipped over the edge. Those firms that re realize that um, are, going to, um, are going to score big. The, other, the other opportunity is the globalization of the workforce. With the worker shortage, that is global, but is extremely uh, acute here in the United States, uh, some incredible organizations have uh, entered into the U.S. or leaned into the U.S. markets. I've had uh, four or five conversations just in the last two weeks with extremely promising shared service centers all across the world, very well run, extremely experienced people, minimum uh, bookkeeping experience and tax experience of three years and at the reviewer level seven. If those kind of organizations exist and like Botkeeper that I just uh, interviewed here on the main stage, we have an opportunity to stop being bookkeepers while still delivering bookkeeping. Yeah, stop being tax preparers while still delivering tax returns. And, um, and yes, some people would say that we've had that opportunity for a decade. I would say not at this level. And this level is a line we've crossed in the last six. Well, and I can, I can bear that out for you. One of the things that, that came up at the, the SAGE conference in Dallas uh, last week after AICPA Engages conference was the fact that 80% of transactions in SAGE Intact in the entirety of SAGE, the, the full multi-threaded, 80% are not touched by a human being. Yeah, so that's the same number I'm seeing yep. from the wow. stacks that people are putting together elsewhere. So yep. that's confirmed from sort of the high end of the market as well. Right, right, right in alignment with that. And when you consider that, we, we also now have the, you know, AI systems that are doing audits in yes. real time. Um, get, curious to get your thoughts on, on, on AI and accounting. That's yeah. Well, you know, uh, and this is interesting because, you know, you and I talked about this a lot back when we read Daniel Susskind's book, and he's just mm -hmm. now recently come out. Have you read the, the sort of Redux the, version no, of it? No, I haven't yet. I haven't either, but it's definitely, it's already in my Kindle. And, and I want to get his kind of revised thoughts on it. But um, artificial intelligence is accelerating. Artificial intelligence is starting to do, like, for example, with Botkeeper and Vic AI, uh, which made Botkeeper even smarter, maybe even a huge leap smarter. Um, we're starting to see that this is the driving force underneath the hood that's getting us to this critical tipping point. This is letting us see that the 80% isn't the, the minority of extreme innovators. It's now become, or will soon become, the critical mass of all bookkeepers and tax preparers, that's the impact of AI. Uh, but I want to not forget that there is still this thing called blockchain. And even though it's kind of tempered down in our minds a little bit from the initial, initial flare up around uh, 20, what, uh, 18 or so, whenever it was the big talking point, I think that's ultimately the game changer with, with, with audit. 
I mean, why do you need to do sampling to validate the third-party participation in a transaction when it's already pre-validated through the blockchain, right? Um, right? Yeah, so, and then the final thing I'll say is something that you guys talk about a lot is the measurements that matter are often not financial. You were the one that tipped me off to the book, I think it's called End of Accounting. Was that the actual yep. title of it? Yep. Yes, and they, so that was somebody way ahead of the curve on this. Um, so all of these things c combined, um, Ed, would be the answer to your question. A bright new day for the world of accountants to do something that they've not ever done before, and that's be first and foremost advisors. Ed, uh, I mean, Joe, I've only got one last question. In the exhibitor hall, we were doing interviews. You interviewed Emmanuel? Yes. Real quick, tell his story. Yeah, so Emmanuel's a 15-year-old uh, teenage kid, and uh, he fell in love with accounting because he first wanted to manage his money better. What kid, right? And I didn't care about that. And, when I was, and so uh, when, when Emmanuel wanted to manage his money better, he fell in love with the principles of managing the money better, and he happened to have relatives. His aunt, who's on the show floor, is an accountant taught him all the principles and he just fell in love with it. So then he decided that through his school, he would apply for an internship program with Ernst & Young, which he did this past, uh, this past quarter. And, um, and he ran the whole gauntlet Ernst & Young learning how all the different departments and divisions work and even gave a presentation back about the structure of Ernst & Young to Ernst & Young at 15 years old. So you know what, there, that gives me hope. The reason I wanted to interview him is because if we have if we have a lot more of a manual, but you know the question I asked of him that, that I like the most is I said, I said, my daughter's 14 <laughs> and everything that she does is from the lens of how can I make a difference? How can I change the world? And I said, if you have that same lens, do you have that same lens? And he said, yes, sir, I do. And I said, then how do you see yourself doing that through accounting? And he gave an answer that was worthy of the soul of enterprise. I paraphrase, but it was basically if I can help businesses to better manage their wealth, their money, I'm paraphrasing, then they will, through that better management of wealth, change the world, and I'll play a part in that. So Outstanding. At 15, yes. At 15. Yeah. We're yes. going to get we him on the soul the, of enterprise. You really need to get him on the soul we of will. enterprise. He's amazing. Well, we Joe, this has been amazing. I believe he was in one of my sessions earlier today, so that was, was, was neat. <laughs> He's that, attending the conference. I know. It's, yeah. a, it's amazing stuff. Well, thanks for having us here. This was just yeah, an absolute Joe, thank blast. You. Really appreciate it. Ron, yes. next week coming up, we have, we've got to pay a back bill. We uh, had, a, had, a, had a sponsor <laughs> for quite some time, uh, File HQ, yep. and they were unable to get their, their, their CEO, CEO on the show in the, the time, but we, you know, we're making good by him. So we're going to be joined next week by Yash Madhusuda, and he is going to join us and talk about the stuff, the work that they're doing. So we we'll look forward to that. Excellent. I'll see you 167 hours, Ed. <laughs>